Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of Genesis. Let's jump into the word here tonight. Once again, Genesis chapter 22, we come to this chapter here tonight. This is, if you have not looked at it already, if it's not a chapter, you've kind of, uh, not that you've memorized the whole chapter, but one that you've become very familiar with, no doubt as we get into it here, you'll understand uh, fully what this is about because we come to this infamous chapter here tonight, the account of the call for Abraham to offer Isaac, his son, as a burnt offering upon the altar. This is truly one of the most infamous chapters in the Bible. Most people know the story, at least somewhat. Christian and non-Christian alike are aware of of this story. How how could they not be, right? Especially for non-Christians, the idea that there is a God that would ask a man to sacrifice his son, right? And, And of course, throughout history, uh, fortunately, not that many, but some. There's been some some uh, some people who are uh, not in a good place spiritually who have said that you know God has told them to do the same thing with their own children, and so we've seen some pretty horrific cases before where people have said that they were acting on what God was telling them to do, and they they liken it to this story. So so really, this this story has been mangled at times throughout history and misrepresented but it's an infamous one nonetheless and and I think you know for us tonight I would even wonder for for some of you I know it's been the case for me especially early on in my walk with the Lord where I find myself saying why did God do this like as you read this chapter find yourself going I I don't know that I fully understand God why you would do this. Why you would ask Abraham to do this. What, what, what is the purpose of this chapter? I mean, seriously, if you think about it, it's, it's a little messed up, right? I mean, it's okay for you to say that. It, it's a little messed up to think about God saying, okay, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to offer your son as a burnt offering, right? And, and then to see that that. Abraham seems willing to do it, willing to be obedient to it. And then, uh, if that weren't enough, then it seems as if God doesn't really expect him to do it. So, so why? Why did he even kick off the process? Is this the God that we serve, who just sort of plays with your emotions, who just tests you in this way, what, to make sure that we know that he's God and that he has that authority? Isaac was precious to Abraham. He was the promised son. Abraham had waited. He loved him dearly. And, and then God says to offer him. And, and again, Abraham, he, he seems willing to do it, right? And so to me, I look at that and I think, that's crazy. That's crazy. But the Bible says, no, it was faith. And I would say, well, that's, that's some crazy kind of faith, right? So here's the thing. You know, I've taught on this chapter before um, a, a handful of times, and every time I have taught it from the perspective of Christ in the passage. Okay? For most of you, that's probably not going to be news to you. You've, you've heard it similarly. That is that throughout Genesis chapter 22 that we see in this whole account, we see Jesus pictured, right? It, it, it should be fairly easy for us, and we'll do so here shortly. We're, we're going to go over that very thing rather briefly, but it should be easy for us to grasp the, the, the parallels that exist in this chapter between the, the offering of Isaac and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. What we have in, in Isaac in the, in the journey to, people say Mount Moriah, the, the Hebrew word is actually Moria, and, and in the climb up the mountain and, and in the sacrifice, we see a type of Jesus in, in Isaac, certainly. And, and then Jesus is the fulfillment. With Isaac being a type of Christ, Jesus is then the fulfillment of it. So is it wrong for me to have taught it that way? Is it wrong for some of you to have looked at this chapter in that way? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, 
as long as we're not stretching. Certainly there's times in the Bible where I think we can speculate a little too much maybe, but, but, but to say that we see Jesus in every passage of the Bible, especially in chapters like, like Genesis 22, oh, it's totally there. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is there. That's the grand narrative of Scripture. It's all about Him. But though He is there, and yes, this passage serves in many respects to point us to Jesus and to in His work on the cross, I don't know, or I should even say more confidently than that, I don't believe it's, it's what's intended for us truly to pull away from this chapter. So here, here's what I want us to do tonight. Um, we're going to look at the passage twice, sort of. We're going to take our first pass and we're going to do so quickly because I do want us to see Jesus in this passage, especially for the benefit of those, whether here or watching online, you may not have really looked at it that way before. But also, not just for that reason, but, but certainly the way in which we see the gospel in this chapter is important to our greater understanding, but there is a greater understanding, I believe. Um, and so let's, let's go ahead and we're going to do this quickly, okay? All the way through verse 19. Chapter 22, Isaac has been born, okay? Isaac was born, had a little party, Ishmael sent away, um, Abraham gets the opportunity to make a covenant with Abimelech. I believe in that context, it was in some respects an opportunity to reconcile a relationship. And we come then into, into chapter 22. We don't know exactly how much time has passed here. The, the fact is, it could be a, a pretty good amount of time that's passed from chapter 21. Maybe even upwards of, of 30 years or so have gone by. Um, and so in chapter 22, we read here in verse 1 now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. We'll come back to that, okay? And he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. So there's a willingness on Abraham's part to respond here. Verse 2, then he said, take now your son, note this, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So, of course, we see here very quickly there's language that should catch our attention. As God says, your only son, two things we should consider there. One, is it his only son? Technically, no, there's Ishmael. But Ishmael was a son of the flesh that God had said, you send him away. Now, remember, God took care of Ishmael. So don't, don't be thinking, oh, shame on God. No, God... God took care of what Abraham in the flesh had done. Nevertheless, God does not remember our sin. Here in this case, God has said, there is one son that I have promised you. He is your only son. Secondly, of course, we should look here and think of Christ, right? His one and only begotten son, the son of the Father. And so there's immediately language here. The second thing, in verse 2, it says, whom you love. Do you know that this word love here, this is the first time that we see this word love in the Bible. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, is the first mention of love. Do you think it's a coincidence that the very first mention of love in the Bible is within the context of a father to his son? Not at all, okay? So that should stand out to us. That's pretty cool. And he's, But he's, here he's saying, your only son, it's almost like he's pouring salt on the wound or sticking the knife in and turning it, your only son whom you love, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now remember, Abraham's been, Abraham has been living in uh, a pagan area. I mean, he's, when you talk about, Abraham's not walking around going, oh, my Christian brothers and sisters, we're all hanging out and having fellowship. Now, Abraham's the guy, okay? This is, he's the father of the faith. He's the one that God called to establish the nation Israel and everything that he does through them. So Abraham is surrounded with, with, with pagans. Now some of them are good people, right, that he can reach uh, by telling them about who God is. But nevertheless, he's seen terrible practices, one of which is human sacrifice and even child sacrifice. So what, you know, making an offering for one is something that Abraham is very familiar with. But even the offering of a child is not going to be something that's entirely foreign to him. But I suspect that for Abraham in this moment, he's thinking, I thought you were different. <laughs> I, I, that, that is speculation, certainly, but I can only imagine Abraham's thinking a little bit like, wow, I didn't think we did that. That's certainly the, the, the least of his concerns. The, the greatest is, is the implication of his only son, his one and only son whom he loves. Nevertheless, verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning, 
saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So God, of course, has a specific appointed place where this is going to occur. And it seems here that Abraham is very obedient. There's not much hesitation. He goes. Verse 4, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. A couple of things that we see here is that, uh, first of all, this word lad uh, is used to refer to grown or uh, you could say young adult men. So this is one of the reasons why a lot of people believe that at this particular time, a good bit of time has passed. That for Isaac, certainly to be a part of carrying the wood up the mountain, he's at least got to be a little bit older. He's not just a little tyke. He's, not, you know, he's capable of doing some work here. And the fact that this word lad is used of other young men, some people believe that, that Isaac's a good bit older at this point. In fact, many people believe that he's in his 30s, if not 33 years old, uh, similar to that of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, of course, on the third day that they arrive at this place. Uh, we can see some uh, uh, significance in that as well. And Abraham says, we're going to go off and, and we're going to worship. We'll, we'll come back to that one specifically as well. And so Abraham took the wood, verse 6, of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand in a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but uh, where's the lamb? <laughs> right? where, where is the sacrifice for a burnt offering? Verse 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. Note how before this, what had Abraham said to the men who he was traveling with, his servants that were with him? He said, we will come back, right? There was, and Hebrews tells us this, the author of Hebrews tells us that there was a confidence on the part of Abraham that whatever God was going to require of him, he was going to do what was necessary to preserve his son, okay? The implication there would be, if I'm going to kill my son, if I'm going to sacrifice him, then even though I don't know a whole lot about resurrection, God's going to bring him back from the dead, okay? He has a level of confidence that this is the promised son. He's coming back with me. Now, we wouldn't necessarily be able to make that conclusion based off of simply what we read here in Genesis 22, but certainly when we read in Genesis 11, we gain that understanding from the, or excuse me, Hebrews 11, we gain that understanding from the author of Hebrews. Okay. So then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now of course uh, people very much question this one here because man if Isaac's older what in the world is he doing? Like this would be weird, right? Dad what are you doing? Uh, and, and, and there's really nothing that we can conclude from this other than no different than Jesus there's a willingness to surrender his will to that of his father and to trust him. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, right? And so we see that here once again. And so remember, we're seeing in this, certainly, it's not a stretch for us to see a picture of Christ in this experience, in this narrative. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord, this seems to be then the angel of the Lord, this is Jesus calling from heaven, saying, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. Now, I would think that at this point there's a little bit of a mix of emotion on the part of Abraham as he's getting ready to do this. And he's thinking, Okay, God, like <laughs> now's, now's the time, right? Now's the time. And, and, but still trusting, and, and, and Jesus cries out from heaven, Abraham, and there's got to be this sense of, here I am, okay? And so there's a sense of relief here. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. 
So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. So here, God sees uh, Abraham's heart. He, He recognizes that he's willing to be obedient, to offer his only son. Remember, Abraham had said to Isaac, God will provide, God will provide a lamb. I think it's significant here that it's not a lamb, that it's a ram offered for the sacrifice, but it's not a lamb. Why? Because God will provide a lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. That time has not yet come. And so here he tells Abraham, don't do it. He provides an alternative. Verse 14, And Abraham then called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. You've heard the term perhaps Jehovah-Jireh. That is, the Lord will provide. That is the Hebrew that we see there. Uh, You might actually see it written uh, Yahweh-Jireh. Jehovah was an alternative for writing or or saying Yahweh. And and indeed, God does. God, God, God provides, right? Here he has provided as Abraham has expected. Maybe not in the way that he expected. He didn't know exactly how it was going to turn out, but he knew he could count on God. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, verse 16, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now here God reinforces the promise that he had made to Abraham, uh, the, the blessing that had been upon Abraham, but here he, he ties it to Abraham's obedience. And so Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now, Again, as we look at this passage, it should be easy for us to see so many similarities between uh, Abraham to Isaac, uh, God the Father to God the Son, uh, Jesus in his willing sacrifice upon the cross. And, 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 and I didn't even elaborate on some of the things that we could have gone into there a bit further, like, for example, the fact that Moria, well, where is that? Well, that's Jerusalem. That is essentially the series of hills and mountains in Jerusalem. Uh, Where specifically? Well, later on, the next mention that we have of Mount uh, Moria is specific instruction that's being given as to where to build the temple. And this is where Solomon builds the temple. But in case you're, maybe you've heard before that this is in fact the very place where Jesus himself would be crucified upon the cross. While we can't say that with absolute certainty, what we can say is that it was very much in the region. In fact, the way in which Mount Moria uh, kind of worked its way up in elevation, you would kind of go to the first plateau where the Temple Mount would be, and then there would be another ridge that would be slightly higher than that, that many people believe today is in fact Golgotha. The implication there then again being that Isaac was placed upon the altar at the very place where Jesus would be crucified upon a cross. Also of significance, of course, Isaac being this picture of Christ that he himself carries the wood, the means of his uh, own altar. Uh, He carries it up the mount the same way that Jesus would carry his cross. I mean, over and over again, we cannot, anybody who says, oh no, that's not in view here in Genesis 22, I, I I, I don't think we can say that. But to the earlier point that I made, I do think we can look at this and say, but that's not exactly what God wants us to take away from this particular passage. Why? I mean, we have to ask why, because because as we look at this, that seems so clear to us, right? And so so what of it then? What of the significance of this chapter? Is Is it just a picture for us? Is it just one of those things that we can look back in Scripture and go, oh, how cool, look at that. And, and maybe that would be a wonderful thing, as we can with other passages of Scripture, to look back and go, oh, you see, you see Jesus in there, and you see, you see the gospel in there. But there's more than that, and I think, I think that's, we really need to focus in on that here tonight. As we go back to the beginning of the chapter here, let's look at this a little bit differently again. In cha- back at the beginning of the chapter, in verse 1, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. That's the first thing we need to look at here. 
God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. When it says here that God was testing Abraham, some translations uh, will say that God did tempt him. This is the Hebrew, the, the Hebrew word here means to try or did proof or did prove out. Okay, so, so really when, it, when it's saying it tested him here, it's saying God was proving Abraham. He was proving him. You know, you might ask why. Well, we'll, we'll see that here as this unfolds. But, but from the very beginning here, let, let's just consider what we find elsewhere in Scripture. If you were taking notes tonight and you want to write down James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James 1, 2 through 4. What does it tell us? If you haven't memorized that, you'll know it as soon as I start to read it here. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What are various trials? What are various trials? It's very obvious. Don't, don't think I'm trying to stump you here. They're various trials. They're all the different trials that you face. Some passages of Scripture speak more to tribulation or to persecution, right? So sometimes people can go, oh, I'm being persecuted, and you're like, no, you're not being persecuted right now, right? Trials are trials. They're just that. They're the things that you're facing in your life that are hard. How many of you are dealing with something in your life that you go, that's kind of hard right now? Wow, we're doing pretty good, right? I expect every hand nearly, most of the time to go up. Okay, there's trials in our lives. But what James is telling us is, count it all joy. Is that an easy thing to do? No. Rarely, if ever, have I, when I'm facing a trial, has my immediate thought been, praise the Lord. Right? No. But what James is telling us here is when this happens, and how can he say this with confidence? Because he knows that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right? He's saying, listen, God is working. When there's a trial in your life, God's doing something. And what is he doing? Well, he's, he's working, he's testing your faith, and that is going to produce something. It's going to produce patience, and then patience is going to have its perfect work, and it's going to make you into somebody who's better. And now you're not going to be lacking that which you lacked before because God in His grace and His mercy and His kindness towards you has said, I'm going to do this work in your life. You need this, right? And so this is in part what is happening here with Abraham. He's proving him out. Abraham, I'm going to bring a trial into your life, and it is going to do something for you. But as we'll see, not just for you, Abraham. Here's the thing. Have you ever gotten a new toy? Have you ever gotten a new car, maybe? Or something that you were excited to get, and, and what did you want to do when you had it? Did you, were you like, well, we'll just like put that aside? You wanted to use it, Right? The, the, the times that I have been fortunate enough, I like cars, to get into a car, or, or even better yet, tractors. We grew up in the country, okay? Man, when I could get my hands on a tractor, oh, it was so much fun. Why? What did I want to do? Give me anything. I wanna, I'm going to tear that down, right? I would go up to like this, the biggest tree stump, and I'm like, I'm just going to see if I can get that out of the ground right now. And I just, you know, <laughs> You wanted to prove it. Now, here's the thing. Did I think in that moment, I might break this? No. Because nothing runs like a deer, okay? Yeah, I lost you there, didn't I? Didn't I? Yeah, I like the green machine, okay? And so I'm thinking, this can handle it. I know what this thing can do. We're going to... We're going to test it. We're going to push it to its limits. Now, is this a perfect way of looking at kind of how God handles us? No, not entirely, okay? So don't leave here tonight going, well, yeah, you know. <laughs> God treats us like tractors and just pushes us to our limits. <laughs> but you understand to some degree here, what has God been doing in the life of Abraham? He has been building this man. He has, been, he has been using this man to accomplish something great. So don't find yourself offended when God says, Abraham, I'm going to test you out. I'm going to see what you can do. Does God know? 
Yes, God knows. God's not surprised in this. And we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to an understanding of why. Okay? Because what was significant about Abraham? Think about it. Go back to the beginning. What's special about Abraham? Anybody know? He was chosen. That's it. He was the man that God said, you. You. Now, before anybody gets too wrapped up in doctrine of election and is that fair and what about the other people and this and that, listen, here's what we so often misunderstand about election. We look at election as God saying, you, not you. That's wrong. I believe that's a wrong view of election. A right view of election is you, so that all of you. I'm going to use you. Because what did he say to Abraham? Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, this is his time. He comes to Abraham. He chooses this man out of all the other people that are there. He goes to Abram and he says, Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you because I just like you and you alone and I'm just going to make your life awesome and everybody else is terrible. Right? That's what it says, isn't it? No. To a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing only to the nation of Israel because I don't like anybody else. Is that what it said? No. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him and curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, the very first act of election was God saying to Abraham, I'm choosing you, I'm going to use you, and I'm going to do something awesome through you. So Abraham, that's what's special about Abraham, was that he was chosen, chosen for a purpose. And so God calls, God calls and Abraham says, here I am. So here now, all these years later, Abraham, when he hears God call him, he says, here I am, Lord. I, the other day, uh, I told Ashley and the kids, I said, I thought the dog died today. Sam's getting a little old, okay? Sam's a great dog. He's getting a little old. And he was out in the corner of the yard in a, in a kind of a weird spot, just laid out. And I looked out the window and I thought, oh no, this is going to be a bad day. <laughs> and I'm looking, and I'm like, I don't think he's moving. I don't even see breathing. And I open up the door, and I'm thinking maybe the sound of the door, you know, because he's a dog. He'll just, you know, he'll move nothing. And I'm like, oh, God, Sam. And boom, he shot up. I mean, just like, and that may have almost given him a heart attack, right? <laughs> he was just sunbathing. He was just like, you know, it was awesome over here in the sun. But bam, he was up. And when I see, not to liken Abraham to my beagle, but I can't help but when I see this, there's no pause in the verses. When God says, Abraham, Abraham's like, here I am. <laughs> like, what do you want? What do you want, God? I'm ready. This is different than before, by the way, okay? So if you're thinking, hey, we haven't always seen Abraham respond this way, you're right. Why is he responding this way at this point in time? Because he's learned. We've seen Abraham make mistakes. But at this point, if what people believe is true about the time that has passed, Abraham's 130, 135 years old here. And he's going to continue to live. I think he, what is he, 170 or 175 when he dies? He's been, that means if he's this old, he's been a friend of God for upwards of 55 or 60 years at this point. And pretty much just him. Just him in a personal relationship with God. And yes, he's made his mistakes, but he's also learned a thing or two through that time. So he's ready. He knows at this point, yes, God. And then what he's got to ask? Take now your son your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so we know, we've considered this already, albeit briefly, that, that the ask was beyond comprehension to us, certainly. When we see that, it's just like, Lord, yet to Abraham, Scripture in no way suggests a hesitation. This speaks of his maturity and of his relationship with God at this point. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled the donkey, took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, he splits the wood for the burnt offering, he arises and went to the place of which God had told him. Abraham responds immediately and then is obedient. So not only, so his response is, here I am. Immediate response. God, yes, I'm right here. God asks and then there's obedience to what God has called him to. 
Guys, it's, it's here that we begin to see, in my opinion, really the purpose for this passage. Yes, we see the Gospel in this passage, certainly, and it's pretty cool. But what we, I believe, are to see in this passage is the example of Abraham. The heading in your Bible for this chapter likely says Abraham's faith confirmed. That's what our attention is to be drawn to. As much as we see the Gospel in this, and that is important for the sake of the passage, what's more important is what we see in Abraham. He responds and he is obedient. Write those things down. That's what we are called to. Christian, you are called to respond, which by the way also means that you can hear, that you're in a place where you can hear from the Lord. You respond and you're obedient. That's really what faith is about. And here's the thing. How was Abraham able to do this? Well, I've already said he spent time with God. He had known God now for a while. But does that just, you may have known somebody for 50 years yourself or whatever your lifespan is thus far. And you may think, yeah, I may know him for that length of time, but I'm sure not going to listen to him or trust him, right? So just because Abraham knows God for that length of time, doesn't just automatically mean you trust him. There had to have been some other things that have happened along the way. Now that's obvious to us. We've, we've, we've been studying Genesis now. We know. But that's, that's what it is. Think about what God has done. Again, you can write this down or you can turn there. Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Now this is after the time of Abraham, of course. In Exodus 19, we find the, the, the nation of Israel having just been led into or across the Red Sea under the leadership of Moses. But, but I want us to consider something here. In Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6, we read this. In the third month, after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from the Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Now this is when God is renewing a covenant with his people and telling them what it is that he's going to do. And look what he says. Verse 4, You have seen, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. We'll come back to those last few verses here in a moment. What I want us to focus on here is verse 4. You have seen. God, throughout history, is recorded in Scripture, especially here as He is addressing His nation once again, is saying, look, you've seen what I've done. And for us, as we're, as we're looking at Genesis 22 tonight, how could Abraham say, here I am, and be obedient? Because Abraham had seen what God had done. Abraham was well acquainted at this point with God's faithfulness, with God's promises. And, 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 what we, and, and here's the wonderful thing for us to understand here tonight. I would challenge you in this. What we must understand is that as God asks of us to respond and to be obedient and to take that step of faith, Listen, it is always, always rooted in a work of grace that He has already done. Do you understand that? God makes the first move. Every time, throughout history, any time that God has expected His people to do something, He has already demonstrated His grace. So whenever we want to get wrapped up or whenever you hear somebody getting wrapped up and oh, God just commands all these different things and we have to do all these things and we have to sacrifice all these things. No! His expectation of your response and obedience is always rooted in a work of His grace. And I think far too often, I'll just speak for myself, I miss that. And so you see, Abraham is able to act with such faith here. He's able to respond and obey because he knows, God, you've done so much. You've done so much, God. So on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship. We talked about this idea of worship on Sunday. And he says, And we will come back to you. Listen, worship. Did he say, Hey, praise band's fired up. We're going to go over here and we're going to have a sweet night of worship. We're going to do it in round. Right? We're going to circle the chairs up. 
It's going to be awesome. And I'll come back. I'm not dogging on that, even though it kind of sounds like it. Only because that's what we just, we just, we, we get so focused on that, right? Worship. I don't know, the worship was kind of shaky today, you know? And it's like, oh man, like that's not worship, okay? What is the word worship here? It's the Hebrew word shaka, and it means to bow down. What does it mean to bow down? You sang about it at the end of the worship set. Surrender. I mean, there's a lot of different ways in which we see worship play out, but what, what, what Abraham is speaking to here is he said, you guys stay here, I'm going to go bow down. I'm going to go surrender to God. And of course, what we know here we can, we, is, is what is being asked of him has to be incredibly difficult. As we consider on Sunday morning, there is no right worship without, sacri- without sacrifice. Worship must cost you something. Granted, sometimes the cost may be a little bit higher, a little bit lower, but inevitably, if you are truly worshiping and you are bowing down and you are surrendering, that means you're giving something up. But if you are giving something up, you are doing it in response to a work of His grace. Right? So don't feel so bad that you have to give something up because He's done something greater already and it should just be your natural response. Hard, maybe. Right? Not always easy. So He he goes to worship. Verse 6, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac and... We've gone through this already, and so we know that they begin to make their way up the mountain. And Abraham proceeds. I mean, he binds Isaac, and he lays Isaac upon the altar, and he, he gets ready. He's going to sacrifice Isaac. Now, the way that a burnt offering works is that you would sacrifice him first, and then, and then the flame would consume them. So it wasn't that he would be uh, burnt alive. And so Abraham's prepared to take the life of his son and offer him to the Lord. And as we read, God stops it. And in verse 12, jumping into verse 12, and he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And guys, this is it. Again, did God know? Yes, God knew. But did Abraham? Did Abraham know? Did he fully know? Did he fully understand? God had just brought him to probably the deepest level of trust that he had experienced with God yet. Did the world who would hear of what Abraham has done or had done, did they know? No. So as God here was birthing a nation, he's saying, I've been working on you. I've been forming you. I've been shaping you. I've been sanctifying you. I've called you out from a pagan people. I've set you apart. I've worked in your life. I have, I have been making you into the man that you are today, Abraham, and now I'm taking you to the next level. I'm proving your faith so that Abraham can walk away and know it and that the world who would hear would know it. And so Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked, and of course there the Lord provides Jehovah Jireh. And as we continue on, then we see, so, so go down to verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you. And multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies and your seed all the nations." All the nations, not just one, all of them, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because you have obeyed my voice. And so we must see, we've got to look at the bigger picture here. It's not just about Genesis 22. It's about the bigger picture of what was God doing through this man. Listen, in the New King James Version... Abraham is mentioned 217 times, okay? I think pretty much from Genesis until Hebrews, I think, is where it cuts off. 217 times. How many of those times where Abraham is talked about is it based on his actions with Isaac and how that shows us the gospel? None. None. The closest you get is Hebrews eleven seventeen. What's my point? Do you think, pick one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, James, 
Do you think one of them along the way would have said, oh, hey, as they were witnessing to a Jewish person, you remember Abraham and Isaac and Mount Moriah and all of that? Well, that was a picture of this. You think maybe they would have done that, right? If that's ultimately what the Holy Spirit intended for us to truly grasp from this. Again, I'm not saying that that's not there, but I think we have to look at the New Testament and we have to go, man, they're not really talking about this. What are they talking about? What do they mention? Romans, and I'll just pick a few. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And then here's the big one, guys. Galatians chapter 3, 14. Write this one down. Galatians 3, 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What are we supposed to see in Genesis 22? Abraham's faith in what God was doing through Abraham. Why? Because it has bearing on us. Does the gospel? Certainly. But as we look again in Genesis in, in chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, God chooses Abraham. He chooses to use him to be a blessing to the nations. And as God births his people from this man, this is the beginning. This is him now beginning to work and saying, I'm making this happen. The son of promise has come. And, and what we're going to see then as we make our way into the following chapters is we're going to see now... Uh, uh, Sarah is going to pass, uh, Isaac is going to take a bride, and then we're going to start to see all of the patriarchs. We're going to see now God going, look, I'm doing exactly what I said I was going to do. But it starts, it started first with the call, but it's as if in Genesis 22, God says, okay, good job, Abraham. You got there. Because think about this. Let's go back to Exodus for a moment. Before they had departed, and there in Exodus 19, three months into the wilderness, and God says, look, this is what I'm doing. You've seen what I've done. You have reason to trust me. I've shown you grace. Before that happens, in Exodus chapter 14, verses 17 and 18, look at what God says. His people are in bondage still. He's in the process of delivering them. God says, verse 17, And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians, look, verse 18, Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. When we think about what God is doing through the life of Abraham here, what I want to make sure we understand, because again, for much of my own Christian life, I, I, I kind of missed it. I just look at this and I thought, oh, how, how cool. Look at this picture. And I totally missed the fact that what God was doing here was saying, Abraham, I'm proving you out. I'm, I'm, in effect, finishing a work in you. And what was that work? Was it for you, Abraham? No. This wasn't about you. Abraham, this isn't about you. And the same thing could be said tonight, whether it's me or any one of you. It's not about you. When we read this passage, what we have to understand is that God is in the business of using us for His glory. That's what He's communicating. He's saying, yes, here's the Gospel. And I'm beginning to point to it. But I'm doing it so that everybody will know about me. He says, I'm going to do all this in Egypt here. I'm going to harden hearts. I'm going to make all these things happen. Why? So that they know. So that they know that I'm God. And so then when God makes His covenant with them in the wilderness, and we looked at this already in Exodus 19, 1-6, yes, it was there that He said, look, look what I've done already. And does He then stop there? Does He say, so look, I've really taken care of you, so you can just trust me now because I'm just going to make your life pretty awesome. Does He say that? A lot of times that's what we want, right? Oh, if I trust Him and I'm obedient, that means blessing. He's just going to take care of me. And yes, He certainly does. He will take care of you. Not always in the way that you think. But be careful we don't miss this. Look at the last part of what He says in Exodus. Yes, He reminds them of what He's done so that they'll trust Him moving forward, but it's for a reason. 
and you shall, verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. What's so special about that? Well, Paul makes clear in Galatians, as we've already read and elsewhere, that that is us. That we too have received the blessing of Abraham, Gentiles grafted in, we are his church, so what then of his church? The same thing. Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation. He chose you, Christian. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. You see, what God was doing here in, throughout Genesis, and what He was doing here in Genesis 22, and in the chapters that follow all the way into Exodus as He was birthing His nation, yes, all of those things came first, and now it applies to us, the church. What of us being a priesthood and a holy nation? Well, what did the priests do? What did the priests do? They brought God to the people and the people to God. That was the role. They served to bring God to the people and people to God. What of a holy nation? I will take you out. I will redeem you. I will sanctify you. I will set you apart so that you are different, not like the world, so that when people see you, they see me. Throughout history, again, the grand narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it's about His plan to redeem His people, not because we deserve it, not so that He can bless us, though He loves to do it because that's who He is, but so that He can be, so that He can take His people, bless His people, to bless others. That they would be a blessing to all nations, that He would use us to bring others unto Himself his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, you're this so that you can tell people about what you once were. So think about this again. What was he doing with Abraham? I know I'm being redundant here. This dead horse is getting beat, right? He chose him. Go, Abraham. Be a blessing to all nations. Be set apart. Be different. Serve as a priest. Bring people to me. Glorify me through your life. If we look back at Genesis 12, 1-3, and we see there that if we, if we kind of trim it down, that, that God says to Abraham, go and be a blessing to all people. Does it sound familiar to something? Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Tell the ends of the earth about me. But here's the thing, if we look at Genesis 22, what we need to understand is this won't be easy. It's not easy. It's as if God says to Abraham, look, I'm going to ask you to do some things, Abraham, and it's going to be hard. And you might feel at times like I'm asking too much. You might feel at times like it's too hard. You might find yourself climbing Moria, whatever that is to you, doing whatever it is that I'm asking you to do. But Abraham, it's not about you. Because when you do this, when you're obedient to me, people are going to see it. People are going to hear about it. And they're going to know about me. That's why I chose you. So I'm asking you to trust me. Have I shown myself faithful to you? Have I demonstrated my grace to you? If you look back, have I been faithful? Have I proven it to you yet? Have I shown you enough grace yet to where you know that I'll continue to show you grace? So will you trust me? And so for us, listen, we're called to the same. And he asks us to have faith and to trust him. And yes, it's going to be hard. And you may find yourself on your own moria, your own trial. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Do not fear, be not dismayed. I've overcome the world, John 16, 33. And based on his past grace... We can trust Him moving forward, knowing that He is working all things together for good. And what is that good? What is that good? You see, that's the other thing. When we go and reread Romans 8, 28 and 29, we go, oh, praise the Lord, He's working it all together for good. And we want to hold on to that as if good means safe and comfortable. And that's what it means if you just look at, if you just perform a good sort of eisegesis, you take your will and you impose it upon Scripture and you just take 28. 
But if you take 29, you're forced to understand that what he's doing is making you more like him. And to be more like him is good. But he's also the one who surrendered his will, who endured every trial, who willingly gave of his life. And so when we say, Lord, I know that you're working together all things for good, we need to embrace the fact that what he's doing is making us more like him and accomplishing his will, his plan, his purpose, which is not about us and our peace and comfort and safety, but rather to fulfill exactly what he said he was going to do from the very beginning where he said, I'm going to use you to bring many people to me. And so then it's incumbent upon us to ask the question, sometimes the hard question, Lord, what is it that you want to do in my life to bring people to you? He chose Abraham to be a blessing to the nations and to tell the world about him, and he's chosen us to do the same. That may mean he chooses to prove out your faith and to put it on display so that the world will know that he is God. So the question for us then is, will we respond in obedience? And here's the thing, once again, he won't ask you if he hasn't first demonstrated his grace in your life. So for you and for me, we need to ask, what has God done and will I respond to that work and be obedient? Amen? We'll tackle the last part of this next week. It kind of fits more with uh, the next couple of chapters. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding, that helps us to apply it to our lives, especially, Lord, when we confront difficult passages, Lord, that we know are good, that we know, Lord, when we see it, it's just, there's a sense of, Lord, Wow, how awesome is your grace and your mercy, Lord, that you would choose me, Lord, that you would work throughout history and uh, on our behalf, uh, using us, Lord, for your glory, for your work. But, but, Lord, what does that require? Lord, if we do surrender, if we are responsive and obedient, what does it mean, Lord? Lord, help us to reconcile those things and, and help us, Lord, more than that even, to remember your goodness, to remember your faithfulness, and to know that we can trust you. And so though, no matter what it is, Lord, that you may call us to, Lord, you will be with us through it. That great commission, Lord, that you left your church with, it was make disciples. That was the direction. And the promise was that you'd be with us. And so, Lord, help us in that work, we pray. Father, I pray for each of these here tonight, Lord, as they follow after you. Lord, uh, do a necessary work in our hearts. If, uh, if we need to deal with some of these things here tonight, if we need to, to go to a place to, to worship, to bow down, to surrender, and to with joy embrace what it is that you want to do through us, Lord, and how you want to use us, then, then may that work be accomplished, Lord. Do whatever it takes uh, that we would be a people, Lord, uh, that have a sense of reckless abandon. Um, total disregard, Lord, for ourselves and a, just an absolute desire, Lord, to, to be obedient to you. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for this night, Lord. And I, I pray, Lord, bless each of these here as they follow after you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week. So make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.